Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 33. On this episode, I sit down with Dr. Barry Finchball. Dr. Finchball is Professor Emeritus Agriculture Economics at Kansas State University and is active participant in development of U.S. agricultural policy. On this episode, we talk about everything from NAFTA, China, and TPP and, for the, and the effects it will have on the U.S. agricultural economy. Dr. Finchball, thanks for being on my podcast. My pleasure. All right, so let's go ahead and just jump right into this. There's a, of course, we have a new president here, been president for about 10 months, and there's been a lot of a lot of changes, I guess, from a political perspective. He's quite a bit different than, than everybody else we've had up to this point. And what do you see with the Trump uh, administration and, and how, how is he going to be a, a, a positive effect on, on the agricultural economy? Well, frankly, I'm very concerned about his um, position on trade, um, how he handles it. He's very much um, uh, in the corner where you do bilateral agreements country by country and and, and doesn't support uh, uh, multilateral agreements like NAFTA. And, of course, he, the fifth day in office, he pulled out a TPP. Um, so the Secretary of Agriculture and the rest of us that uh, uh, try to work with ag policy have our work cut out for us to try to get him to understand how important uh, uh, trade agreements are to agriculture. Uh, we export about 27% of our production, and uh, the big portion of it goes to uh, countries that um, uh, are part of uh, multilateral agreements like um, NAFTA. So uh, there's, there's a, a serious problem here, and we've got to get him convinced that, uh, for example, how important NAFTA is to agriculture. Uh, they, um, if you look at uh, Canada and Mexico, um, uh, Mexico, for example, is our number one corn customer. Um, they're in the top ten in in wheat and pork and beef and and um, beans, and it, it just goes on and on, and they're very, very important. I'm quite concerned about it. With your interactions with, with, with NAFTA and, and the stuff that's going on now, mm-hmm. kind of response from Mexico and Canada both about NAFTA and where we're at right now? Well, Mexico and Canada are, um, want to definitely continue NAFTA, and uh, they're participating, of course, in the negotiations, and uh, NAFTA's 23 years old, so um, I have no quarrel with updating it and bringing it into the 21st century and the computer age and so forth, uh, but uh, the problem that we have with NAFTA is of our own makings rather than than Mexico and, and Canada. I think the president is probably... Uh, quite surprised at how Mexico has stood up to him. Of course, the president of Mexico refused to come to the White House and after uh, he be- after Trump became president. And, you know, they have some uh, power and influence, and when they're uh, as good a customer as they are, we have to treat them somewhat as equals. And, uh, and of course, we've had a long, long friendly relationship with Canada, now, there are some trade problems there, of course. Uh, uh, agriculture uh, uh, is heavily involved in it, especially the dairy uh, program, and there's um, some issues over forestry and, and uh, Mexico. There's some issues over um, 
uh, fruits and vegetables, and we have what might be referred to as a tomato war with Mexico. But one of the things that we we seem not to understand very well is that they they have other places to go and, and buy products, uh, like Brazil, for example, in Argentina, and and uh, given the political atmosphere, um, they're certainly working with them. Brazil and Argentina, and now the, those two countries cannot uh, completely replace the United States, but they can certainly put a dent in um, our exports to Mexico. So I frankly don't think the problem is Mexico, and certainly not Canada, except for these issues, for example, in in uh, dairy and forestry, but. Um, the negotiations have gotten kind of rocky. They were supposed to be done by the end of the year, and now they're saying March. Uh, trade negotiations go very, very slow, and when you get to the crossing the T's and dotting the I's, it gets pretty tense. But uh, and of course, we still don't have a um, ag trade ambassador um, uh, appointed. Uh, Greg Dowd has uh, come out of committee, but. Um, uh, one of the senators has um, got a hold on his confirmation, and uh, uh, it could be the first of the year before we get an ag trade ambassador uh, involved in the national negotiations. And um, that's a problem also. It's not just the administration. It's uh, this, this Senate is so slow, very difficult for them to get anything that, that done and get an agreement. And, um, these appointments have been held up, which um, isn't good for the ag economy. So what kind of lag could you see this present into 2018 with, I'm sure they're going to operate under the current NAFTA agreement that's here. Moving into 2018, I mean, this has got to create some level of apprehension and um, some sense of instability in, in the marketplace, you know, with, with Mexico and Canada both. How, how is that going to, how do you think that's going to affect 2018 with those trade partners? Well, we have an abundance of um, production. Now is not the time to be messing with markets like that. And this instability, not knowing when we're going to get anything done with NAFTA or uh, is the president going to pull the plug, which um, based on what he said and his actions so far, you know he would like to do that. Uh, just as he's done with TPP. And and um, so this is going to bring quite a bit of instability in 18 and certainly could affect the markets. Um, uh, and with this huge supply that we have, uh, uh, it could be a pretty tough year. So give, give me a sense of what the overall impact would be if we woke up tomorrow, or January 1st, 2018, Trump. administration has said, you know what, we're, we're no going to longer be a part of NAFTA continue to just sell our goods on the open marketplace without any bilateral trade agreements with Canada or Mexico. What kind of effect would that have on our on our overall agricultural economy? You know, it would be so devastating, I don't want to even think about it. If we pull the plug on NAFTA, talk about instability and, and, and talk about a, a drop in market prices, um, I can't even imagine how to bad it would be. It's just as, frankly, even stupid to think about it. 
if you have any understanding of agriculture trade, this thing wouldn't even be on the table in terms of pulling the plug. And, and, and Secretary Purdue knows that. The reason we have negotiations instead of pulling the plug to begin with, because when he uh, got into office, he immediately explained to the president how serious that would be. And uh, But he's got his work cut out for him to keep the president on track, because uh, he thinks that he's done the right thing on TPP, and his trip to um, Asia has convinced him even more that he can do this bilateral, country-by-country deals, the art of the deal, so to speak, that simply doesn't work for agricultural products. I, I just think that, um, you know, we have to constantly uh, remind the White House how important this is to agriculture. Uh, some of the advisors in the White House, like um, Peter Navarro, for example, and the Treasury Secretary, or not the Treasury Secretary, but the Commerce Secretary, uh, stir the waters and 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 support the president and help him uh, explain the idea that we'll do this bilaterally instead of with trade agreements. So uh, he's getting some poor advice, uh, especially NAFTA. I mean, it's it's worked very well for all three countries. Very blunt about it. I I just think the whole thing is stupid to even think about withdrawing. Renegotiating, yes. Bringing it up to date, fine. But the president needs to frankly shut up about with uh, pulling the plug. Uh, it's just not, I don't know who it's good for. And I, uh, it would be a real blow to agriculture. I can't, can't be more emphatic about it. No, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I when I hear him talk about pulling the plug and, and, and talking like that, it does scare me a lot to hear that, to hear them say that. And, and the idea yeah. that we're going to somehow bully our way into it, or, or if that's the right term or not, but president Trump has a, he, he's really good about letting his advisors advise. And, and I think Sonny Purdue, agriculture secretary, Sonny Purdue has a, has a pretty good feel for what the overall marketplace is. And, and to me, it seems like he's, it seems like he's doing a good job. It seems like he's he's talking the right things and 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 bringing up the right points and and pointing the you know the ship in the right direction. So, give me your opinion of of that, Secretary Purdue, and and keeping the the uh, the train on the on the track. Well, I couldn't be more positive about uh, the secretary. He from day one he has laid it on the table. He understands it. He's got a ton of experience. He's a veterinarian and a grain producer from cotton country. And he can he can bring the commodity groups together. He he can fashion a policy for agriculture. And you know, I just don't find uh, everything I see about him so far. I'm very pleased with. Um, and he's got one tough job to keep Trump on track on some of this stuff. And uh, you know, the uh, the first thing that he faced was um, the president's budget cut USDA twenty one percent. Uh, and of course, uh, White House budgets are dead on arrival at, on Capitol Hill, but uh, Purdue came right out of the chute and, and said he does not support that budget, which was developed, of course, before he came on board. Uh, so he showed quite a bit of guts, frankly, and uh, so as upset as I get with, with Trump on some of this stuff, I'm very pleased with um, Purdue, and uh, so far, he can... can um, bring the president around at least 
temporarily, and he, uh, the president com appears to be listening on the secretary. But he, if you don't watch him, he'll fall back to his old beliefs, and so Purdue has got to be constantly alert. And it, it's amazing, frankly, that the, what Trump's uh, basic beliefs are and so forth, that he appoints a secretary like Purdue and, and does listen to him. So if that keeps up, we should come out of this thing all right. In the meantime, there is certainly a lot of instability and, and uncertainty. And uh, Trump would quit tweeting about some of this stuff and and just let the secretary do his job. Why? Well, I think it'll work. And and then we got to crack at that happening. So that comforts me some. Some sometimes I wish they would just take his Twitter away. I mean, it, he does more damage <laughs> than good sometimes. Well, with that it's funny. It makes me laugh yeah. some of the stuff he says, but. It's, some, it's not necessarily the most productive thing in the world. Well, most of the trouble he's been in has come from his early morning tweets, and and um, but I don't think we're going to talk him out of that. So, uh, daughter and son-in-law can't talk him out of it. I don't know who could, and so right. we're simply going to have to put up with it and work with it. Like you talked about earlier, about the fourth day of him being president, he pulled out of the TPP. Um, I wasn't necessarily an overwhelmingly big fan of, of what I could, you know, read and understand of the TPP, but um, it seems like over the last thirty or so days, he's kind of changed his mind a little bit on the TPP. But also, like you said, you know, dealing with China uh, over the uh, two weeks uh, he was in Asia, it seemed like he maybe shifted back to his original thought process. So, talk to us about you know TPP and and where that would go and what that would look like for agriculture. Well, TPP, um, I would argue, would have been a, would have been very good for agriculture. The estimate is it would would increase our income roughly five billion a year. Now, the problems with TPP are primarily in other sectors of the economy, uh, not agriculture. Right, the ag part of it, I'm a fan of. When, when Trump was in Asia. I, I think he was fairly startled by the other 11 countries that uh, formed TPP decided at the meeting in Vietnam to go ahead and, and um, put it into operation. And, and it's basically on track without the United States. That frankly puts us out to lunch. If instead of pulling out, uh, Trump would have insisted on some renegotiation and get some things changed in it and get his uh, commerce secretary involved. Uh, I think we could have improved upon it. You know, that's 40% of world trade. And when he went into China to deal with the premier there, uh, he could have gone as the most powerful leader in a trade agreement that has 40% of world trade. China would have had no choice but to, instead, he went in as, you know, the President of the United States, but he didn't have the, the power behind him that he would have had if we'd have been working with TPP. And, you know, I'm getting outside my area of expertise a little bit, but I don't see how we're going to um, make much progress with North Korea if, if China won't do it. Being outside of TPP, we we don't have as much influence over China. Uh, I wished he would have 
been willing to negotiate it instead of pull out of it, and he could still, I'm sure they'd take us in if he'd change his mind, but uh, he doesn't like to change his mind. And um, I'm sure Purdue and, and um, uh, some of his other advisors are working on him on that, but uh, I, I think another part of the problem is the Commerce Secretary. He doesn't, he first of all doesn't know anything about agriculture. Before Purdue came on board, he kind of got involved in and as far as trade agreements were concerned, and, and then, of course, at first, we didn't have an ag secretary or we didn't have a, a USTR um, representative. Now that we have those two on board, why, uh, that can and help blunt the, those, the ideas of the, the Commerce Secretary, which kind of followed fairly much in line with, with, with the president. And um, I've always been of the opinion that the more you sit down with countries and talk to them, and the more you trade with them, the more you get their economies interwoven, uh, the more peaceful the world's going to be. Because if you're trading together and depending on each other, and you do this in a block, you not only have political influence, but you have economic power. We just need to be in more of a cooperative spirit instead of trying to bully our way through. So with his trip to China... And he came back. It seems like a lot of good stuff has come from that. I mean, at least from what I hear in the news, anyway. How do you feel about that? You know, the outcomes of that trip, and 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 how do you think that's going to reflect um, in agriculture? Well, you know, I think he had a fairly good trip, productive trip. It's uh, number one. It showed that the United States understands the importance of Asia, and he's evidently developed a pretty good relationship with the the Chinese premier and the, the Japanese prime minister. But he didn't come back with very much in hand in terms of uh, any new agreements or anything. Um, it's positive for agriculture, but it, it uh, uh, it's just the beginning. The developing a relationship with, in Asia and uh, especially Japan and, and um, China because they're, they're good markets, you know, and if we'd have signed on to TPP, we'd have had the tariff on our agriculture commodities going into Japan would be 5 to 10 percent instead of 45 percent. For beef, for example, and where if things fall right in 18, we should be for the first time a um, net beef exporter, and Japan's pretty key to that, and um, the, the beef market is now opening up in China. The middle class in China is growing rapidly. Uh, that's a long-term potential good market, um, but we have to uh, play our cards correctly. And, uh, you know, the real thing behind TPP, and yes, it could be really improved um, across the board as far as commerce is concerned and so forth, and I see where the commerce secretary is coming from. There's one big bully in China, in, in Asia, and that's China. You have a trade block that has Japan in it, and Canada, and Mexico, and the United States, etc. Now you've got two boys, and they have to deal with each other from a position of power. If you, with, with TPP now, formed, but without the United States, you know, China can play one against the other. The real beneficiary of Trump pulling out of TPP was China. 
the other country that I wanted to talk to you about in some detail here would be would be Russia. So with with the stuff that's happening in Russia and and you know their ability to grow to grow wheat and, and do the things that they're doing, how how is Russia going to affect the overall ag marketplace? When you start looking at you know, the Black Sea regions and in southern Russia, where there's, there's there's a lot of wheat that's grown, and it does affect the world supply. What do you see um, happening with Russia, and, and how do, how does that with your the, with your connections and the people that you've talked to? How is Russia going to affect the U.S. marketplace, and how do you see um, Russia's involvement in in U.S. agriculture take place over the next two or three years? Well, Russia's not near as important as Asia. Uh, when you look at China and Japan, for example, the Russian economy's in bad shape. Uh, it, it's going to be difficult for for Russia to get its act together. Uh, yeah, they got plenty of land and they can grow wheat, but their marketing system leaves a lot to be desired. Their political system is basically Putin. Period. We're almost back to the days of the czars, because uh, Putin's basically functioning as a czar. That is not very conducive for economic development. That's not very conducive to um, increase yields, uh, etc. to do the research and so forth. And right. the way Putin's behaving, nobody wants to cooperate with him. <laughs> now, he and uh, the president seem to have this affinity for each other. I don't know how you quite explain it. Uh, they evidently talked for an hour on the phone this morning about uh, Syria and uh, North Korea. But they didn't evidently say anything about the Russians interfering in our election and the uh, elections in Germany and France, for example. They're a player in the world agricultural economy, but they're they're way down the line compared to Asia and uh, Western Europe and so forth. So, so I don't see them having much influence. They don't have that system organized to take advantage of their natural resources and so forth. And they could be a much player in agri- much bigger player in agriculture, but uh, they got political problems that prevent that from happening. So I don't see them having much of an effect on the markets and so forth. Not near like you know, as I said earlier, the the. TPP countries with United, if United, and the United States is 40% of world trade. And you look at the, uh, a list of who's buying U.S. agricultural products, you look at the top, say, 15, um, Russia will be in there because of the bottom. You know, we need to pay attention to them, but uh, they certainly are in top priority. Dr. Flinchboff, I may ask, how long have you been involved in ag policy legislation? Well, my good friend Senator Roberts likes to say that I helped Calvin Coolidge write the first farm bill, <laughs> and uh, that's not true. <laughs> uh, the first farm bill I was involved in was in 1968 with Earl Butts, and I was at Purdue working on a PhD. It kind of cut my eye teeth with with Butts and the other professors at Purdue. Um, so I. Uh, I've been involved with every farm bill since 68. and goes back a long ways. Uh, I've been here 46 years. I've had somewhere around 4,500 students, and there uh, I'm, I'm still teaching an ag policy course and uh, still sending these young college graduates to Washington to work. So uh, 
it's been a great ride, and it it um, still has a few miles to go. I I think. Yeah. So since 1968, have you had compared this time frame that we're in right now? Would you say that it is? I've never unlike- seen anything. anything. I, I've never seen anything quite like this, um, especially in the White House. I mean, this is most unusual president, and um, you know, you never know for sure what he's going to tweet, or uh, and he's awfully hard to predict. And USDA, of course, doesn't have Purdue doesn't have a staff, two or three, when he needs ten or eleven, and he's in her, in her staff. That's partially the White House's fault, but it takes the Senate forever to get anything done. And um, so I've never seen this kind of dysfunction, uncertainty, from a political standpoint. So it, it, it's kind of new territory, and it, it, it certainly isn't dull. you got to pay close attention every day to know what's going on. But, uh, you know, we've had some tough times politically before, and uh, we'll handle it. As, as my uh, dad used to say, this too shall pass. So I feel like that we have a, a pretty good synopsis of of what we have in store for us here, um, as far as ag policy goes, and, and what what the kind of the the theater looks like now. And I'd like to thank you for being on the podcast. Well, I enjoyed it. It's uh, as I said, it's interesting times, and there's lots to talk about. So okay. and. You asked the right question, so... Thank you. I, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. So well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Flinchbaugh for being a guest on this episode. Remember, if you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC now has a website, movingironllc.com. Here you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, there's three three ways to do so. You can leave a review and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, or you can use the Amazon click-through on the Moving Iron LLC website. You can find this podcast on these podcasting platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.